grab a seat. Well, good morning. Thank you. Thank you, whoever. Okay, good morning, everybody. Good. Good to see you. It's uh, great to have you here. If you're new here today, welcome. Great to have you. My name's Dean, uh, one of the pastors here, and, and great to have you. And uh, a very warm welcome because it's very chilly out there. So warm, warm welcomes are in order. And uh, listen, this morning what we're going to do is dive into uh, the scriptures to, to start out. And uh, we got a great morning ahead. We're going to just get into, into the scriptures here. In just a little bit, we're going to be taking communion together. We're going to spend some time uh, singing together uh, some more just praise and worship to Jesus as well. So it's going to be a good morning. You looking forward to it? All right. Well, we're going to, we're picking up. If you haven't been here, we're in a, a bit of a series right now looking at this particular chapter of scripture in Mark chapter 6 where we get to look at kind of a day in the life of Jesus. A kind of a, uh, you know, roughly, a, and it's this one pretty uh, kind of wild day uh, that Jesus and his followers, his 12 disciples experienced. The day kind of started in the beginning of the day. Imagine a sort of uh, morning and, uh, and they were gathering and, and they, the, his disciples have been out kind of uh, talking to people about uh, God and, and out doing different things. And they all come back to Jesus and, and kind of the beginning of the day, they're telling them everything that's been going on. Jesus is trying to teach them some things. But there's so many people that want to get close to Jesus. Such a crowd develops that then Jesus says, you know what, guys, let's get out of here. Let's uh, get off by ourselves. They get on a boat. They sail uh, to somewhere new. But by the time they land, the whole crowd is gathered and met them there, is waiting for them. And so then Jesus starts teaching again, and he's speaking now to this crowd, like 5,000 people. And, uh, and you're like, man, like that, if the day ended there, it would have been a pretty big day. But, of course, we saw that what ends up happening is he gets done teaching and preaching, and there's 5,000 people, and he tells all his disciples, hey, we're going to feed them. We're going to, you know, give them all dinner. And so they take, you know, a little bit. Jesus takes five loaves of bread, two fish, multiplies them, feeds 5,000 people. And all his disciples get to see it. It's like, man, that's a big day. Surely, you know, you're like, now you can just kind of call it. But then we saw last week, Jesus, then after that, he says, you know what, uh, all my disciples, you guys get on a boat. He says, you guys go on back without me. I'm going to stay behind. I'll catch up with you later. Uh, and they're like, where are we going to meet? He's like, don't worry. I'll, I'll just text you. We'll find it. It'll be good. Don't worry. Sends them out on the boat. And they're going on the boat. Jesus goes up on a mountain to pray. And uh, spends time then just getting alone with the Father and praying. And we're going to pick up now. So now it's kind of even. It's been a big day. And we're going to look at now how Jesus is going to spend really almost the next kind of 12-ish hours. How he spends his evening and right through the night. And in fact, we're going to get to look at one of the things that ends up happening. This is a story uh, where Jesus is going to walk on water. How many people know the, the story where Jesus walks on water? Incredibly well-known story, and as we unpack it today, uh, we're going to get to look a little bit at, at why Jesus walked on the water. There's lots of different, you know, thinking, reasoning behind. There's an old story told of Mark Twain. Do you know Mark Twain? Uh, the great writer, lived in the 1800s. Uh, once he was in Israel, he was on a trip there with his wife, and they were staying near the Sea of Galilee, and it's a beautiful space, and he thought one night the moon was out. And he thought, it's gonna be a, this is going to be a great night. I'm going to take my wife down, and we'll take a boat ride 
out on the Sea of Galilee. It'll be romantic. All, you know, he's, he's thinking this will be great. So he takes his wife. They walk down. And, and this is apparently a true story. It's told of him. And he sees this boat there. And the captain, he says to him, uh, how much is boat ride? And the captain looks at him. Mark Twain used to always dress in like a white suit, you know, look all fancy. And this guy thinks, well, this guy's probably got a lot of money. And so he says to him, it's $25 for a boat ride. Uh, which is, uh, you know, a lot of money at the time. He's like, $25. And Mark Twain says, okay, no, thank you. And he walks off with his wife and was heard to say, now I know why Jesus walked. And because he uh, just, but, so I'm not sure if that's accurate or not. He said it, not me, but uh, I don't know. We're going to unpack the story, and we're going to try and get a little picture of, of why, why, why did he walk on the water. So Mark chapter 6. Um, we're going to pick it up. It says this. Later that night, uh, this is the, so it's the same night. Wow, what a day. Later that night, this is in the, the evening, uh, the boat was in the middle of the lake, and Jesus was alone on land. Now it says later that night, some translations will write this evening. Uh, it, it, this is in their, the way they divided up time at that point in history was they looked at the evening and night time. Uh, as a 12-hour period, kind of from uh, sort of roughly dusk until dawn. And they divided it into that 12 hours into four what they called watches, four watches. And the first watch of night was from 6 p.m. till 9 p.m. Then there was from 9 p.m. till midnight, from midnight till 3 a.m., and from 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. This seems to be happening, This the, the literal is there, it's in the evening. It seems to be probably in that kind of first watch, somewhere between 6 and 9. Uh, the sun is setting. Everybody's gone home from the party. He's been praying. And at that point, as he stands on, as he's up on the mountain praying, he sees that the boat, his disciples, they are in the middle of the lake while he's alone on land. And it says that Jesus saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. And we're going to read this whole little story right through. So he sees the disciples are straining at the oars because the wind was against them. And then verse 49. It says, shortly before dawn, he went out to them, walking on the lake. And he was about to pass by them. But when they saw him walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost. And they cried out because they, were all, they all saw him. And when you see someone walking on the water, it's the middle of the night. That can sometimes be a traumatic experience. They cried out. Because they all saw him, they were terrified of what was going on. And immediately he spoke to them, and Jesus said, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. And then he climbed into the boat with them, and the wind died down, and they were completely amazed. Because they had not understood about the loaves. They saw him multiply all this food, but they didn't get what all this was pointing to. They didn't get what it meant. And it says their hearts were hardened. That's why they didn't understand. Now this is a pretty... Uh, amazing story. Like, we've seen Jesus, like, what a day. I mean, this day has seen it all. And now here is what the night is going to look like. Is it Jesus, you know, kind of schedule couldn't get any more full. He's working the night shift as well. And what I want us to look at today is that the reason he's going to end up walking on the water and what we're going to unpack out of this is something that should help us understand that Jesus is always Jesus is always doing two things. It's kind of two things, whether it's morning, afternoon, evening, even nighttime. Two things he's doing, whether he's teaching, preaching, multiplying uh, bread, doing miraculous things, walking. There's two things that Jesus is, is just about always 
interested in doing, and it's the same thing that he'd love to do in your life and my life today and this week. Jesus is always 24-7 revealing himself and refining us. He's always at work revealing himself and refining us, showing us who he is and shaping us into who he desires and dreams us to be. And we're going to see how that kind of works as we look through this story. It's amazing. It's a few short verses. We read it that quick. This probably is summarizing something that could have happened on the long end over just shy of a 12-hour period or on the short end, probably eight hours, nine hours. We read it in a few short verses. But it's what happened on this particular night. Now, I want us to see that the first thing you see about this story that has to stand out to us it, Jesus is going to be revealing himself in this moment, on this night, in a situation where they are, we're just going to call it against the wind. The setting of this story is a setting of being against the wind. You've got Jesus' disciples, and so they follow him. They, they, they're around him. They're learning from him. They're, and, and, but where Jesus is going to send them is right out into a, what might be called a situation of adversity. It tells us, if you remember back in the beginning of that, you know it says the setting for the story is going to be the disciples are out there. The boat is in the middle of the lake. It's in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. It's probably, I think, roughly sort of five-mile type stretch where they were trying to go. But they are out there, and it says they are straining. They are struggling. The word that it's used for saying, you know, this is how they're feeling out there. They are almost tormented at the oars. They're out there trying to make some progress, trying to get where Jesus told them to go. But they're going against the wind. They're in, they're, they're in a situation where it's like, you know, the wind is just against them. Now, uh, the reason I think this is kind of so helpful is because, you know, this story is obviously about uh, e even more than just, you know, the disciples getting across that lake. The, the reality is that all of us know what it's like in life to be trying to get somewhere only to feel at times like you're struggling against the wind. I, I, I love to play tennis. When I moved to Perth, uh, I found out this is one of the windiest cities in the world. It, it literally is one of the three windiest cities in the world. And, and, and I found that out quickly because if you've ever played tennis, it's like there's nothing more frustrating than when you're, like, playing against the wind. Anybody ever play tennis? Enjoy it? And you're, like, you're, you're trying to hit a ball, and you're, like, you know, I'm good at this. I mean, that's how I talk to myself. I'm, like, I'm so good at this. Normally, I can hit it so hard. I don't know why I'm not on TV, but for some reason I'm not, but... You know, you just like, but then you're like, no matter how hard I swing, no matter how hard I load up on, no matter what I do, I feel like it's going nowhere. Like, I just gave that shot everything I got, and it went like nowhere. That's what it's like when you're going against the wind. These guys are in a situation, they're trying to row their boat somewhere. They're struggling against the wind. Have you ever had a, a time in your life where you feel, you know, if you're a follower of Jesus, that you feel like Jesus has called you somewhere? He said, go there. And yet, no matter how hard you struggle feeling like I'm trying to go there, I'm trying to reach that point, like I'm just struggling against the wind. Like it's just hard. It feels like no matter how hard I try, I'm not getting anywhere. They're in the middle of the lake. You know, imagine that frustration if you're one of these disciples. You're in the middle of the lake, and it's like no matter how hard we row, we're not getting across this lake. 
No matter what he seemed to do, we're just stuck right here. You know, it, it, every one of us probably has places in our life we can relate to this. Places we are hoping for a, a breakthrough. Places we are hoping to, to get somewhere. There's uh, things that we were pursuing or dreams we had or things we feel Jesus called. Sometimes we feel like Jesus called me to this, but man, if, if he called me to this, it shouldn't be this hard. But Jesus had sent them straight into the wind. Now, the amazing thing about this is because, and what we realize from this story is there are certain things that Jesus can only kind of reveal about himself, can only show us about who he is when we are against the wind. You know, Jesus revealed something of who he was when he multiplied all the bread and the fish that day. He showed what he could do. And those are fun moments in life when Jesus takes, you know, a little bit of bread and a little bit of fish and feeds 5,000 people. And you see something, right? it's like, and everybody's full and this is like this incredible moment. And, and those moments, they show us something about Jesus. But can I tell you something? The moments when we find ourselves on the middle of lakes, feeling like we're getting nowhere, struggling against the wind, the reality is those can be moments where Jesus can reveal some things very uniquely to us. You know, it, it tells us that, that then uh, it was about, at about the fourth watch of the night, or just before dawn, Jesus comes walking to them. And why does Jesus come walking to them? And it has this kind of unique phrase. It says, it, it looks like he was uh, maybe about to pass them by. Uh, we'll pull that verse up there. It says that, you know, as, as, they, were, as they were rowing, it, you know, there, here's them. Uh, it says that, you know, it's just for dawn. He's about to pass by them. Now, you're, you're in this boat, and you're rowing. And, and we kind of read that, like, what is that? You know, is Jesus, like, just about to pass by them? Like, was he just going to walk right by them? Like, you know what? Sorry about the boat. Taking a shortcut, you know. Um, I just thought this would be a little bit easier. Or, you know what, actually it's been a bit of a busy day. I didn't get all my steps in today, and I've been tracking. And so I'm just going to kind of keep on. Why is he passing? What is with that phrase? And there's lots of different ideas or thoughts on this. But one of the things that actually you, you know is so often in the scriptures, whenever you see this phrase, pass by, it was often used in the Old Testament of different moments when God would do something unique to kind of manifest who he was, to show who he was. There's all kinds of moments where it talks about God is about to pass by. It's a way of saying you're about to see God do something amazing. Moses is one of the most famous examples who, you know, kind of says to God, I want you to show me your glory. I want to see more of you. I want to see you. And God says to him, you know what, uh, here's what I'm going to do for you. You can't quite grasp all of me, but I'm going to put you in the rock. I'm going I'm to hide you behind a rock, and then I am going to what? I'm going to pass by. My glory will pass by. It's a phrase that's often used that when God is going to show something about himself. You see, in this moment and walking on the water, Jesus is going to reveal to them that he is supreme. That he is uh, above, that he is above the laws of nature because he's the one who created nature. He's going to reveal to them you know, they're out there just frustrated at these wind and these waves. They're frustrated by it, and they're probably starting to feel like, oh, man, what are we even going to do out here? But Jesus is going to show them that I am greater than this. Jesus is always 
always at work in our circumstances, good, bad, or other, wanting to show us more of who he is. And in this moment, he was showing them more of his greatness, more of his power. You know, it, it, they, uh, one of the things that, that you know, we, we sometimes use this phrase, you know, like, oh, of somebody who can just feels like do anything. Oh, they could walk on water. Like, it literally was a way of demonstrating, I can't, he can do anything. Nothing too hard for him. And, and here's the, the amazing thing is that he's going to, and he's been at work. And here's the crazy thing. Jesus was always, and just remember this, always, like Jesus, whatever circumstances you're in, he's always wanting to show us more of who he is. He'd done this with them before. Do you know, in this moment, the disciples had even been through a similar situation once before. They had, they had seen Jesus calm a storm when one night they were out on the boat, and the storm was so bad that they thought they were going to die. And Jesus they have to, is asleep down in the, the bottom of the ship, and they have to wake him up. And he gets up, and he speaks to the wind, and it is silenced. And the wind and the waves and everything dies down. Like, whoa, who is he? They've seen him feed the multitudes. Now they watch him walk on the water. Jesus is always wanting to reveal more of who he is. Because sometimes we, all of us, the disciples, me, all of us, we can sometimes almost be slow to grasp just how great he is. So he's always at work. Night, day. But there was something else that he was doing in this moment as well. Remember I said Jesus is always doing two things. One, he's always revealing himself. This week, as you go about your week, there are ways, if you will look for it, that Jesus will want to reveal more of who he is in your life. And Jesus is also doing something else at that same time. He is refining them into the people he wants them to be. Because you know what's really amazing is, when does he go out? Shortly before dawn. The literal there is it saying, it literally in the Greek, it says, at the fourth watch of the night. Shortly before dawn, he's going to do this. And you know what that means? We read this, and we read it like that. Okay, so one minute. Yep, they head out. It's evening time. They head out. They're struggling. They're tormented. They're rowing. They really, you know, they, can't, they feel like they're getting nowhere. And then we read, and then shortly before dawn, Jesus walks out. You know, walk, like, almost like, you know, he's going he's gonna to pass by. You know what's amazing? Why, why, why does Jesus wait until shortly before dawn? Why, if he saw it in the evening, he's up there praying, why, why does he not go out right then and right there? Okay, maybe, you know, well, he was praying. He was having time with the Father. Okay, well, what about the second watch of the night? You know, hey, they've had a few hours. They've been going hard. Maybe it's time I should go out and I should, you know, try and help the situation. Maybe the third watch of the night could have gone, you know what, mo most of the night's almost gone. It's not until the fourth watch of the night, almost like the last possible minute before the night will be done, that he now chooses to walk to them on the water. What's with that? Can I tell you something? And, and this, is, this is one thing to know this. I think following Jesus, if you're following Jesus, becomes incredibly uh, less painful when we begin to realize this is how Jesus often works. He often, often does not work on our timetable, our schedule. Often it will feel like he leaves things to the very last possible minute. Because there is something he can do 
in that space. And there's something he could do in the space between the first watch and the fourth watch that is different than what he can do in your life at any other moment. There's something different that he can do when you're struggling against the wind that he just, he can't do the same thing on the clear sunny days. I believe one of the things that he was doing in this moment was he was refining his disciples. He was shaping them to be more of the people he wanted them to be. They were, they had an opportunity in that space to begin to learn something that they couldn't otherwise. Because Jesus is always revealing himself and he's always refining us into the people he wants us to be. Do you know, I think about one of the people on that boat. Peter. And Peter was on the boat that night, you know, and, and you think about all the, the, the conversation that, that could have been happening, you know, while these guys are in the middle of the, in the, middle of the lake on, on a dark <laughs> and windy night, feeling like they're getting nowhere. And can you imagine the conversation that may have been happening? All, all these guys just being like, you know, why, why are we out here? Why did Jesus send us out here? He probably, did, he probably knew this was going to happen. And he puts us out here. Or maybe he didn't realize it. Or, you know, what, like, Jesus, what is with that? Why? Imagine what, what might they have been saying to one another or asking or what would have been going on in their minds as they wrestled with the frustration of Jesus just told us to go here. And now we're just battling. And I think about Peter. And you know what? He was there. And imagine how some of these moments probably shaped him for what it would be like to actually follow Jesus the rest of his life. Do you know Peter wrote a, a couple of letters that are kept first in the scriptures, 1 Peter and 2 Peter. And in 2 Peter uh, chapter 1, uh, he's writing about faith. And, and, he, and he actually lists seven qualities that he says every one of us who follows Jesus, we should try to add these qualities to our faith. That we have faith in Christ, and Peter goes on to list kind of seven qualities that he says, if you add these things to your faith, if you become this kind of follower of Jesus, if you add these qualities into your life, these qualities will keep you from being what Peter says, ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of Christ. He says, if you will add these things to your faith, if you become a certain kind of Christ follower, this will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive. In other words, your life will, will actually make a difference for Christ. You won't just know Christ, but your life can be used by Christ. And he lists seven different qualities. And you know what one of them is? Perseverance. Perseverance. How many of us think, you know what, the thing I want most in life is perseverance. That's just Jesus, could we work on perseverance this week? I would love, you know, if we, if we even think about perseverance, probably be thinking, yeah, that's cool. I could do a word study on it. Maybe I could read about other people who had to persevere. Could I learn perseverance by like that? Can I tell you something? Perseverance only gets learned on dark, windy, wavy nights at sea. Where you feel like you're getting nowhere. Where you feel like you're stuck. Where you feel like, Jesus, I thought we were supposed to go there. You told me to go there. Why are we getting nowhere? Those are the moments where you can learn perseverance. Those are moments where Jesus can actually refine your character and the quality of your faith. Now, the cool, now we'd all love to have perseverance, 
to be able to persevere. But the reality is those are the times and moments where it's learned. You know why I think Jesus didn't go down on the first watch, the second watch, the third watch? Why he left it all the way until the last possible minute. So they could begin to learn something about trusting him even when you feel like you're going nowhere. So they could begin to learn something about what it's like to follow Jesus when you feel like, where are you in this? Right now all I see is wind and waves. And to still be able to persevere. You know, in James, uh, in the book of James, chapter 1, it, it gives us, you know, a great, a great passage for any time you find yourself feeling like I'm, I'm battling the wind. I'm facing the wind. I'm getting nowhere. Nothing's happening. Where are you? And James says it like this. He says, whenever you face trials of many kinds, whenever you find yourself rowing against the wind, all kinds of trials, James says you should consider it pure joy. Pure joy. That's kind of backwards. <laughs> you know, pure joy. Imagine one of the disciples on the boat now. Hey, guys, I know what we're supposed to do. Consider it pure joy. <laughs> Shut up, you know. Pure joy. Row. Get back. It's not our natural instinct. And none of us want to hear that either when we're rowing against the wind. But the reality is that the scriptures tell us whenever you face trials of many kinds, consider it pure joy. Why? Because it's. We're supposed to enjoy pain. No, because it does something, he goes on to say, because you know that it will produce perseverance in you. That our trials, if we allow them, they can actually produce perseverance. It will do, it's almost like the trial will do some work in you. There's something that can happen on the inside, and it will produce perseverance in you. And that perseverance, it says, will one day give way to hope. And so these are, and that's why we can consider it joy. You know, Jesus is always at work, wanting to refine. And can I tell you something? If you're here today and you feel like you're rowing into the wind or you feel like you're stuck on the lake and it feels like it's about 3 a.m., and you know what happens at 3 a.m.? I mean, they, when Jesus finally comes out, you know, and it's getting almost, it's still, it's like the dark of the night, and they see him on the water, and they freak out, and they're terrified, and they think it's a ghost. Why? Because when you're stuck going nowhere, and it's the middle of the night, you just lose perspective, and you just start to feel afraid of it, and you just start to wonder. And, but in those moments, there's something that God can actually do to change us and to shape us. Do you know, I think about Peter. So he goes through a night like this. And then imagine what, you know, much of his life, once Jesus had, had risen from the dead and gone into heaven, and now he's sent out to go be and, you know, tell everyone the good news of who Jesus is. His life, you talk about, you, you, you would need to be prepared for a moment like that. I was reading this last week. I'm, I'm, I'm doing one of the Bible in the year plans this past week. I was reading Acts chapter 12, and it tells the story of Peter and in this moment in his life where, you know, persecution has started to break out against the church. People who are following Jesus are actually being put to death and put in jail and all kinds of things. And Peter gets taken and put in jail. And he gets put in jail, and it's at the start of a festival that's going to run for about a week, and nothing's going to happen until that's done. But he gets put in jail. And now here's Peter, and you're in jail. And imagine for a moment, you know, you're Peter, and you're in this situation, and you've been put in a jail cell. And, and there's no, like, you know, this is, you know, turn of the millennium, you know, ancient Roman jails, and you're chained between a couple guards. You've maybe got a rock for a pillow at best, and, and, and you know that your life just hangs in the balance that when you go to trial, they could decide anything they want to do with you. And, and there you are, day after day, and night after night, 
and day after day and night after night, God, where are you? What's going to happen? What's going to go on? We're told that all the believers are praying for him. People are praying for him. They want to see something happen. Everybody's praying for him. But day after day and night after night, this is all happening. And then what it tells us in Acts chapter 12, the night before the trial, the very last minute, fourth watch of the night, what happens? An angel shows up and miraculously leads him to freedom. So, you know, God so often works that kind of way. And it requires a certain kind of person to be able to follow him through the most challenging of circumstances at times. I, I, and one of the things I love about this story, uh, this story, so Acts chapter 12, when the angel comes, you got Peter, and it tells us he is sleeping. It's the night before his trial, and he's sleeping. And I think about this is St. Peter who, you know what, uh, a little while back, he was once on a boat, not this one, but the one before where there were storms and there was, you know, lightning and they thought they were going to die. And Jesus was asleep at the bottom of the boat, but Peter was up on decks freaking out like everybody else. But now here he is. And he's sleeping in a jail cell knowing his life is, who knows what's going to happen tomorrow. And there he is asleep. And it tells us that the angel, it says, it actually says the angel comes to the room, and the room is filled with light. And then it says the angel has to strike him to wake him up. And the angel shouts at him, get up. We got to go quick. Do you know what I love about this picture? It's almost like you get this picture. Not only is Peter asleep, he is so asleep that an angel coming into the room and filling it with light does not wake him up. The angel literally has to strike him. I don't know exactly how he struck. I like to picture a kick, you know. Literally, it's, it's like this angel's like, come on. Like, why? Because he's so at peace with whatever's going to happen to him. That this isn't a man anymore who freaks out in the sight of danger. He's someone who can sleep on a jail cell floor, knowing his life is hanging in the balance. And an angel walks him out of there. How do you get to be, have a faith like that? How do you get to be that kind of a person who, no matter what ad adversity is coming against you, no matter what wind is blowing in your face, no matter how, you know, challenging the night looks, you can sleep at peace. And just know, hey, I can follow Jesus anywhere. Jesus, I think, one of, he walks on this water and he comes to them because he is always revealing himself. And he, he comes in the moment he does because he's always refining us. And in any situation, if we will ask God, what are you up to? He will reveal more of who he is and refine us to be more of who he calls us to be. You know what happens when now he's walking? It says he's about to walk past them. And now they're freaking out and they're scared and they're terrified. And it says that Jesus says to them, you know, it is, hey, take courage. Now he speaks to them. Jesus speaks to them. And he says, take courage. You know, it is I. You know, don't be afraid. And then he climbs in the boat. And then in that moment, everything's fine again. And it's this great reminder that you know what we need in those moments. You know what we need. We're in the middle of the lake when the wind is blowing, when it's dark, and we're starting to kind of lose the plot a bit and freak out and terrified. You know what we need most of all? We need two things. We need God's word, and we need his presence. And Jesus speaks to them. And, and he, you know what? They can't even see. They think it might be, you know, but they hear his voice. They hear his word. And Jesus' words are so simple. Take courage. Take courage. And that context kind of literally means don't lose sight of your goal and your target despite the danger you see around you. It's like Jesus, it's almost like Jesus, I'm, I told you to go there. Take courage. Don't lose sight because of danger around you. Take courage. 
Now, some, somebody might need to hear that today. Don't lose sight. Take courage. And he says, it is I, because the one thing we need to hear most in the middle of a storm on a dark and, and windy night out on a lake is to hear Jesus say, it's me. I'm here. I'm God. I'm revealing myself. And then he says, and don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Like, it's almost like he's saying, don't worry about the outcome. You know, you're afraid. You don't know how it's going to end. You think this and this or death could be a possibility or this could be a possibility. It's like, don't be afraid. You don't need to worry about how the story ends. You don't need to worry about what's going to happen at the end. You just got to take courage and know that I am here. And he climbs in the boat. And once he's with them, he doesn't end up, in this one, he doesn't speak to the sword. Don't do anything. It's just the wind. Boom. It's done. It's what we need. His word and his faith. It's amazing how it transforms every situation. So, you know, I, I think it, the, the thing this story always just reminds me, and even looking at this day in the life of Jesus, is it just reminds us that whether it's great times and he's multiplying bread and fish and feeding everybody, or whether it's night times and you're feeling a bit afraid and not sure how you're going to get across the lake and the wind's blowing, no matter what is going on, no matter what circumstances we are experiencing, he, if we have eyes to see and we are willing to look, he is always desiring to reveal to us more of who he is and to use whatever situation to shape us more into who he wants us to be. And wouldn't it be an amazing thing to just be able to kind of live our lives always going, Lord, no matter what's going on right now, would you help me to see more of who you are? Lord, no matter what's going on right now, would you help me to understand more of how you could use this in my life to shape me into the man or woman that you want me to be? And I think if we live that kind of life, we turn into different kind of people. I think we turn into people who could sleep on jail cells, peaceful as can be. You know, James, in, in the verses I mentioned earlier, I love what James says uh, about when we're going through these hard times. And he says that, you know, when, when you take joy in these trials and that we can also ask God to give us wisdom. It, when he's talking about persevering and what it can produce in us, he also says, if any of you lacks wisdom, that you should ask God. And he gives it generously to all without you know, finding fault in us or if we will ask him for wisdom. Do you know what I think is one of the greatest things we can do is when we find ourselves in situations where we're not sure, Jesus, how are you at work here? And the night's starting to feel pretty long, and I'm kind of wondering when dawn is coming, if ever. In those moments, if we will ask him for wisdom. Not necessarily wisdom to say, God, what should I do? Wisdom to say, Lord, help me to see you in this situation. And help me to see how you can use this situation to make me more the person you desire me to be. That if we do that, he gives that kind of wisdom generously. Can I tell you something? If you find yourself against the wind, if right now you feel like you're in the middle of a boat and it's nighttime and you're starting to wonder, ask him and he will generously give you wisdom to begin to understand your situation through a whole new lens. You know, today, I, I just want to encourage us. In a moment, we're going to take communion together. And this is a moment we see the bread, we see the cup, and it reminds us of who Jesus is. It reminds us of all he's done. 
We were reminded by the bread of his body broken for us, the cup of his blood poured out for us, and that actually because of what he has done, we can know God. That actually when we talk about coming to God, praying to God, asking him to give us wisdom, we've been brought back into relationship with him when we put our faith and our trust in Jesus and say, I want to follow you for all my life. And it's a moment that as we take this together where we can connect with him, where we are reminded that actually God is here. God is present. He's present in your life and present in mine. And he longs for us to say to him, Lord, would you help me to see more of who you are? And Lord, would you help me to see how you can use whatever's going on in my life, good times and bad. Would you help me to see how you can use this moment to shape me more into the person you dream me to be? And so the, the team's going to come up, and in a moment, we're going to spend some time singing to God, reminding ourselves of who he is. And during this time, whenever you like or are ready, I want to invite you to come and to take a piece of bread and to take a cup. And you can take that back to your seat, or if you want, you can uh, gather with some people you came with. If you want to pray together, you can just grab it and go back to your seat and, and have a moment to just pray and to say, Lord, I believe you're here. And I, I want to, right now, I want to I just thank you for what you've done in my life. And I want to surrender to whatever you're doing in my life. I want you to reveal more of yourself to me. I want to know you more. I know I don't know it all. You know what it says? It says the disciples' hearts were hard. That's why they were missing it. They were missing what Jesus was doing, it says, because their hearts were hard. What that means is it's like saying... They were unable or unwilling to take in new information about who God is. Their hearts were hard. It's like they were seeing all the power and all these amazing things happen, but they weren't getting it because they're, they're, there was something in their heart that was just like, I don't know, that's not, there's something going on, but I, that's not how I think God should. Can I tell you something? The thing that will keep us from allowing God to show us more of who he is, the thing that will keep us from becoming more of those people is if our hearts are too hard to say, Lord, would you... Teach me in this moment. If we find ourselves going like, Lord, you know, I just feel like, God, if you're there, you should just fix this. You should come down right now and fix it. And, and if he's not, and we just sometimes grow frustrated, well, forget it, Lord. That's not what I thought you should do. You know what? If that's a hard heart, and you'll miss what he could have shown us in that moment. The soft heart just says, Lord, no matter what, help me to see more of who you are. Lord, no matter what, show me how you can use this to grow me into the person you want me to and this is a moment where we just come with soft hearts before God. We just come with soft hearts and say, Lord, we thank you for who you are. We surrender to who you are. Pray that we know more of who you are. And Lord, I want to be more the person you want me to be. It's a moment we just celebrate who he is. So as we sing, I want to encourage you to just come, take the bread, take the cup, thank him, praise him, take it back to your seat. If, if you'd like somebody to pray with you while we do this, you can come right over to this side and myself and some of our prayer teams will be over here if you think you know what this is a moment where I want to ask God for wisdom or I want to be able to hear his voice saying I'm here uh, we'd love to just pray with you but this is just a great chance for every one of us to have some quiet and some space to just connect with him and believe he's here would you stand with me and I want to pray for us and then we'll just go into this time meeting with him singing to him Lord Lord, we thank you right now that you are the Lord of the wind and the waves. 
creator of all, maker of all. The one who loves us and desires us to know you, to really know you. Lord, I pray that even in these moments we have today, and even as we come to the table you have invited us to, that you would reveal more of who you are to each one of us. You would begin to just reveal to us more of, of, of your love and your grace and your mercy in our lives. And, and that, Lord, you would just allow us to hear that voice that lets us know you are here, you are with us. So, Lord, we, we come before you grateful for who you are. It's in your name we pray, Lord Jesus.